Knockback is brought to you by thousands of supporters on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. If you want to show your support for Knockback, as well as CLS's PlayStation podcast, Sacred Symbols, the eclectic interview series, Fireside Chats, and the YouTube gaming series, SideQuest, please consider going to Patreon and pledging for a monthly amount that makes the most sense for you. Your Patreon support doesn't only ensure that CLS continues to produce the content you love, like Knockback, but you can get cool perks, too, depending on your level of support. You can get early access to each episode of Fireside Chats, Sacred Symbols, and Knockback, totally ad-free. You can vote for show topics and provide feedback to be read on air. You can listen to exclusive podcasts only available to patrons, and much more. Your support is essential if Colin's Last Stand is to continue well into the future, so please consider showing some love. Again, that's patreon.com slash Stand. Thank you for your kindness, generosity, and support. Without you, CLS wouldn't exist. But enough of that. On to the show. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Knockback. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined by Powder Toastman, Dagan Moriarty. No, sir. I don't like it. <laughs> the best. Hi, guys. Hi, guys. Dig, it's good to see you. It's good to see you, too, my friend. It's late at night here in the Philly suburbs. It's we... nice to have you here in the Philly you. suburbs. Thank you. It's wonderful. The Philly suburbs. It's fucking freezing here. Oh, my God. So cold. <laughs> Holy moly. My nips are hard. It's so it's it's goddamn cold. <laughs> I don't have it in me. We were talking about it. I don't have it in me anymore. You know, the... the you're not the cut co- out for this anymore. You got to get acclimated. It's crazy, man. I lived in Boston for five years. Obviously, born and raised on Long Island. Not warm places, but no. Nope, being in Southern all. California, I mean, I feel like such a baby now because we were talking about. I put on the heat the other day in LA because it was like 50 degrees out. Wow, did you really? Yeah, that's just horrendous. <laughs> just absolutely astounding. You should be ashamed of yourself. Well, I'm ashamed of myself for a myriad reasons that have nothing to do with that. <laughs> Digging for the uninitiated knockback is our retro and nostalgia themed podcast about old movies and TV shows and various things of various levels of oldness. And today, as we continue to go through our wave six recordings of knockback, we're going to touch on a cartoon that you and I used to watch a great deal when we were younger. I used to watch it with you. I probably shouldn't have been. It was called Ren and Stimpy. Yay. Or the Ren and Stimpy show, Hooray! technically. The Ren and Stimpy show. And this is on your list. Obviously, we're recording all of your ideas or all of your wants and desires here in Wave 6, which I'm excited about. And I know the audience is, too. And your insight as an Emmy Award winning animator <laughs> gives you. And that's not a joke. Dagan's team did win an Emmy last year. We did. He is, of course, a lead animator and designer at Sesame Workshop. And so you have. Very special insight, and people really enjoy these episodes that we do because you have such deep knowledge of the oh, craft. I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that. That's cool. And so I think it's going to be really fun to do one on Ren and Stimpy, and this show will always remind me of you, and it reminds me of actually of our sister Allie as well. She also enjoyed the show. She did. She loved it. And so for the uninitiated, Ren and Stimpy, and I'll let Dave, I'm basically going to let Dagan take the mantle on this one. I'm just going to sit back and learn, but... This was one of the original three Nicktoons, and th- that term Nicktoon, obviously thrown around still to this day, I think, and some really great ones over time that I really enjoyed, including Doug, including Rocco's Modern Life, which is one of my favorites. Ones that were a little after me, like Cat Dog and stuff. I didn't really care about those. You didn't go the, for that generation, Cat Dog and Angry Beavers? And no, all Hey Arnold was probably the last one that I really cared okay. for. Okay. But there was a trio of original Nicktoons, Rugrats, Doug, which was a really good one. I loved Doug. I didn't like Rugrats very much. I never liked Rugrats. And Ren and Stimpy. I was going to ask you, okay. And it ran from 1991 to 1995, five seasons, 52 episodes. And you talked a little bit about today when we were... T- I didn't know that it came back. We're going to talk about that, too. Yeah. But otherwise, I'm going to kind of let you take it away. I'll ask questions. We have some questions from the audience, some awesome. insight from the audience. So I'm super stoked about it. And I want to know more about why you chose this. I mean, I, I assume we would eventually get to the show. But when I saw your list of things that you wanted to talk about, it surprised me that you picked this one. I don't know why. 
because I just hadn't thought about it, I guess. So I want to know a little bit more yeah, about it. Yeah, it's kind of been, a, it's yeah. not, hasn't, you know, it hasn't exactly been relevant over the last few years. And, you know, it's, it's, it's old, you know, it's, it's been around for a long time, but it's hard, it's very difficult. I think it would be very difficult to come up as an animator and not be influenced and inspired by this show. Very important, you know, in the annals of animation, very important thing. But I'm going to remember this time, we're going to start with our new segment. Oh, of course. Take a little veer to the left for a please, second. Please, please. I'm sorry. And That's my fault. I should be hosting better. That's a, you're doing a great job. It's it's pretty horrible. Late. It's pretty late. We just got back from the diner. It was so good. Oh, it was delicious. It really hit the spot. Both had a couple burgers. Yep. Yep. We're going to do the new segment to remind you guys for this round. We're always trying something different. Going to give this one a shot. It's called Truth or Dare, but Truth. Because we can't do a dare. Right. So these are just questions that I'm going to put to Colin and see... What the answer is, you okay. know, in the spirit of uh, being forthright, but also not, these aren't too controversial. Fun questions, fun right, questions. Right, right, right. So here's, here's maybe the most controversial one of the batch. Okay. Not too controversial, but here's a controversial but, one. Yeah, not too controversial. This is the worst one. Okay. But I need complete honesty on this one. Okay. okay. And I'll tell you where this one stems from real quick. You remember my old roommate, Rick, Rick V. Of course. Colorful character, one of my, one of my favorite friends in Philly, and... A great friend, and he had he would tell us that he had an anecdote, and he was he was for real that every year of his life since he was a kid, he peed his pants at least once. Right, not on purpose. I thought it was shit his pants too. Didn't he talk about shitting yes, his pants? Yes, I was going to get to that. Yeah, okay, okay, I'm sorry. And also, yeah, he also shit his pants at least once a year. I think. Okay. Ever since he was a kid, but so my question to you, Kyle, was: as an adult, have mm-hmm. you ever peed your pants? No, I've not peed my pants as an adult. Okay. I've shit my pants as an adult. <laughs> well, we're just, it's truth or dare, but truth. That I appreciate your honesty. You didn't even ask that question, but I'm answering it Very right candid. Now. Very I candid. I shit my pants in 2015. <laughs> that was the- okay. There you go. All right. We will, I, don't, I won't ask. I won't press for any more details. I'll tell you what happened. Feel free to shit. Please. I'm going to tell you what happened. All right. Greg and I used to go, my old roommate and colleague Greg and I used to go to this pizza place down near the water in San Francisco in our neighborhood. And my girlfriend at the time, my ex-girlfriend now came with us and we went you know, and had some pizza and some beers or whatever. And we would walk back to our house. It was probably like 25 blocks. But in San Francisco, that's in the sunset. That's not a lot. It would take 15 or 20 minutes. It's not a big deal. It's like one minute or less a block. It's not like New York City. And so... I got out of there and I had a poop like I had to go but I was like we, we, I can make it I can make it and it really started to like it started oh, to really come no. so I'm walking and it's a very residential area there's not many businesses it's very like Queens-ish in some way like if you're deep in Queens and I listen to my ex-girlfriend's advice and she's like go into this convenience store and ask them if you can just use the bathroom so I take like a 30 or 45 second you know I yield into this uh into the store talk to the guy he's closing up I'm like please like I need to go to the bathroom. I really need to go to the bathroom. He's like, I, I can't let you use the bathroom. I'm like, I'll give you $20 if you let me use the bathroom. You know? Right. I, yeah. I was like, I'll give you a $20 bill right now. What did he go. say? He was a kid. He was like 18 or 19 oh, okay, years old. Okay. He wasn't like an adult or a grown person at all. I'm like, I'll give you a $20 bill right now. Just let me go to the bathroom. And he's like, I, I can't let you go. And I'm like, all right, great. And I was like, all right, you know, fuck you. And I like left. And that 45 seconds cost me me shitting my pants. No. I get on my block. I'm maybe three houses away from my house and it's over. You know, oh, no. There was a moment that I had never felt. You know when you have to poop, but you can hold it just a little. You can get just a little bit further. There's a little bit more space somewhere inside you <laughs> oh, no. to like clench your ass cheeks right. together. You can hold it that much longer. And like there's a little space in the colon or the anus or whatever. I'm using a lot of dirty words here. <laughs> They're science words. Those are science words. These are perfectly <laughs> scientific words. 
And so I get literally, I'm literally two or three houses away and I shit myself. Oh, like, no. I'm like, it's all, I remember stopping. I stopped at my tracks. I'm like, I, I remember thinking, I'm like, it's over, you know? And oh. it, I just shit my pants. Did everybody know? So I started running like five <laughs> minutes before that. So my ex-girlfriend and Greg are behind me on the street, like, you know, blocks away. And I just book it. I'm like booking it down for people that are <laughs> Irving Street in uh, actually it's Judah. It was Judah Street in San Francisco. I was just booking it down. Oh, my God. And I take a turn on the tw- onto 25th where we used to live. And I dude, if I didn't go into that convenience store, I wouldn't have shit my pants. Oh, you would have made it. Yeah. That's the whole point is oh. I took a gambit. And so, yeah, that's how it went down. And I shit my pants. I remember going inside. It wasn't as catastrophic as I thought it was going to be when I got in there. Like it was just kind of, you know, I shit my pants. You know, I mean, I shit my pants, but it wasn't as horrifying as I thought it was going to be. I remember just going into my bathroom and like just taking all my clothes off and just got to the shower. I just got to the shower. And we didn't even have a, I got to tell you, I don't remember that part because we don't, we didn't have, I have a washer and dryer now, thank God, in my apartment, but I never had that in San Francisco. I had to go to the laundromat. And so I don't remember what I did with my like I must maybe threw them out or maybe I went to the laundromat. I don't know. Oh my God. Maybe I just threw them right in the hamper. Don't <gasps> deal with it later. Right. I'll put it with the rest of the dirty clothes. So, yeah, I, I, uh, I don't think I've ever pissed myself, but I've definitely I've gotten pretty close to peeing myself because there were a couple of times where I was in cabs where I asked the cab driver to pull over in San Francisco. Cause I had to pee. Wow. Like where I'd pee on the side of the road. Like, oh, it, wow. And they did it. Yeah, because here's another admission. I have a I must have a really small bladder or I have a really bad prostate problem because I I pee all the time. I pee constantly. You're going all the time. But it's not like a lot of pee. Okay. It's like I'm peeing like it reminds me of uh of Zoolander, Jerry's Jerry Stiller's character. Oh my where god. Where he's like, give so me a little funny. bit of pee pee. Give me a little bit you know, give me a little pee pee. It's like <laughs> that was kind of my situation. So like I get up and I like I feel like I really have to pee, but then just a little bit comes out. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> so what you know, I don't have this problem anymore because I don't drink beer too much anymore. But when I used to go to bars and oh, drink beer, it's the worst feeling. And you break the seal. I would be in the. Ba- it was a joke amongst my friends. I'd be in the bathroom every fifteen minutes, like for the rest of the night, like it's no joke. Terrible feeling. And I don't know. It sucks, you know. Yeah. And so I was like, kind of a relief when I stopped. I started drinking bourbon and I stopped drinking beer because then that's just the hydrates you need to never pee again. So yes, yeah, totally different. Right. Exactly. So I've been close to having to pee myself, but yeah, I. I so I. I I but I definitely shit myself in 2015. So never so all right, but not every year. No, not the like Rick, Rick theory has been debunked. Yeah, I mean I I that that Rick story is as old as time and I I love it cuz I love the idea that like he just knows in this calendar year I'm going to shit my pants He's at some due. point. He's yeah. due. And I wonder what happens if he gets into like November or December. Yeah, it's like two months left in the year. I know this is going to happen. Something, something. catastrophic is going to happen to him. <laughs> it's good to know, I guess. Have you ever pissed or shit yourself as an adult? Mm, no. No, but I've come close. And you know what? It's the commute. You know, I people mm. know I work in New York and I used to commute a lot more often, a lot more times a week. And it's, you know, the the train ride is about an hour and a half ish, anywhere from an hour and 15 minutes to an hour and a half ish. And then I have to drive home, which is another 45 minutes. So it's a long commute one way. So that was always like, I've had some run ins where it's like, I have to stop. You know, I have to stop at the Wawa, I have to stop at the supermarket, right, right. use the bathroom. But yeah, but that I think having to go pee is like really intensely having to pee is probably the worst feeling. It's awful. It's awful. Did you or do you vibe with the idea that when you I, I, again, this might be my clearly fucked up prostate or my small golf ball sized bladder. <laughs> but when I have to pee really bad, okay. like really bad and then I finally go, I can like barely go. 
Oh it's yeah, like, because you were holding it for so yeah, long. Yeah, like it just like it barely trickles out, and then you kind of have to. You're just relieving the pressure for like 15 minutes, and then you know you have to go back in 15 minutes. But at least it's like you know you've gotten like 10 percent of it out. Yeah, you have to do it. In but steps. then it like just retracts, and then you have to go like take a seat. It's so bad. It's the worst feeling. It almost hurts. It's so funny that I'm giving you guys a lot of insight. People are like, Colin, this is a doctor listening to this being like, dude, there's something wrong with your (laughs) something wrong with your body. Something wrong with your dick. (laughs) I appreciate your honesty and your candidness. Well, I'm I'm anything if candid. You know what I'm saying? You are, my friend. So well, it's good that you've not peed or or shit yourself as an adult. I couldn't even tell you the last time I peed my pants. Like or like, you know, like as every child, I guess, pees himself and, and pees the bed and stuff like that. But I don't know that I don't think my kids ever did that. Your kids that, never pissed the bed? I don't think so. I don't. I mean, when they were babies and That's diapers. That's what I'm saying. I'm not saying like you're 15 years old and you're peeing in the bed. I'm saying Well, like, I mean, like out of diapers? Peeing? Yeah, I, I definitely peed in the bed a few times when no, I was like, when I had a, like I had an adult bed. Sure. Really? No, never. My kids never did it. And I don't think I ever I was, did I was 16, 17 years old. But I remember old. growing up with kids that did that, like on the regular. Yeah, no, that wasn't. I, I remember. I just remember waking mom and dad up a few times when I, I don't know what how old I was, five you know, like being like yeah. Peter, Peter, Peter. I, it's a little weird when yeah, you think I don't about know it. It's why like that happens. It is a common thing, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. This is a pee and scat <laughs> podcast now. It's a scat. Kind of seems podcast. appropriate. The gross out thing, Ren and Stimpy. Hey, it's yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. Hand in hand. By the way, I'm not judging. If you're in the scat, that's totally fine. If you want someone to shit on your chest, who am I to judge you? <laughs> Speaking of that, does that have to be on the chest? Be anywhere you want it to be. All right. Shit on your dick. Shit on your face. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> oh no welcome to our innocent cartoon podcast <gasps> all right so that's oh i just shot my phone that's truth or dare but truth but truth thank you very much for making this segment shine so talk to me a little bit taken now okay. it does make sense i think that this i think this is a perfect segue talk to me a little bit about ren and stimpy so a classic cartoon as you already alluded to aired on nickelodeon premiered i believe ren and stimpy premiered in august of 91 and it premiered on nickelodeon along with three other quote-unquote nicktoons oh three other ones two other ones sorry oh, okay. three all together it was ren and stimpy rugrats Klasky chupo's rugrats and jumbo pictures doug and jumbo, you worked for jumbo i did doug created by jim jenkins my former boss friend of mine my former boss and david campbell jim created doug Jim was actually a Richmond native. And what I didn't realize was Doug was actually set in a town or in a place that was supposed to evoke Richmond. Oh, cool. I never knew that I didn't before either. I researched this episode. And I, and I know Jim. And I knew he was from Virginia, but I didn't know that the whole Richmond angle. And yeah, so those, those three cartoons. And what's really what really needs to be noted about that, these were the first three quote-unquote creator-driven cartoons where they were actually brought to the fort. Nickelodeon sort of ushered in this program where they called on creators to really kind of harness their vision and create shows that were near and dear to their hearts. And they kind of ran the show like a live action show runner would do, like a Michael Mann with Miami Vice or something like that. But they did it with animation. And Rugrats, Doug, and Ren and Stimpy were the first three to sort of to sort of do that. In the early 90s. And a lot of people will go back and talk more about this series. But a lot of people really credit in the 80s. There was a cartoon. The old Fleischer cartoon Mighty Mouse was kind of revived. And it was called The New Adventures of Mighty Mouse. 
And a lot of guys like John, it was, it was Ralph Bakshi, but a lot of guys like John Kay and Pixar's Andrew Stanton sort of came up and cut their teeth working on that show. That's the first show that sort of created that. It's sort of credited for creating that air of wanting to do a creator-driven cartoon where it kind of harkened back to the old Warner Brothers days where the directors over there that were directing Looney Tunes, you know, like your Chuck Jones, your Fritz Freeling, you know, Bob Clampett, those guys, it kind of ushered back to Tex Avery. Those guys were actually, it was their vision. They were kind of left alone to do, left alone, quote unquote, to do what they wanted to do. What They had their, their team of people, they had their staff, they had their stable, and they were kind of left, left alone to kind of just turn out a product. And that's what these cartoons were. And Ren and Stimpy is, it was created by John Chris Felusi. Now we should say here, even after, you know, I'm a, I'm a little bit of an animation aficionado. I don't consider myself an animation historian by any stretch of the imagination. Right, right. You know, like a John Kane maker or a Michael Barry or guys that are really experts, really steeped in animation history. But I'm sort of a self-taught, you know, it's a passion of mine as a professional animator. I love studying the history of animation. And I still didn't exactly know how to pronounce John Chris Felusi's name. Was it Chris Felusi or Crick Felusi? Because as we were saying, he doesn't correct anybody when they pronounce his name wrong. So we had to go back and actually watch him pronounce it. Right, right. Yeah, we finally found him talk, so introducing we think, himself. We think he got it right. Well, we can call him John K. which we is what call he calls him, himself. We could call him Michael John K. because his name is not even John. Oh. It's Michael John. Well, there you go. So MJ. So created by John K., who formed the animation studio Spumco in 1988, co-founded the Spumco with uh, another really important animator that'll take precedent in the conversation named Lynn Naylor. And that was it. And that was, and they created this cartoon that is very important in the history of animation and very influential. And I can't wait to talk about it with you. We have some questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas from the audience, Dagan. As you know, if you support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand, you too can submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas. We let you know the topics early. Then you submit your questions, comments, thoughts, concerns, thoughts, and ideas, whatever it is. Whatever I just said. (laughs) Leighton Irvin wrote into us. I love that name, Leighton. That's a great name. How do you spell that? L-E-I-G-H-T-O-N. Very, very Or maybe it's Leighton. Leighton. I think it's Leighton. Leighton, that's something. He says, I am stoked to see you talk about Ren and Stimpy. The show was a big part of my childhood, and we had many VHS tapes full of episodes recorded from the TV. While I think of the show, a few things come to mind instantly, like the log song, which I can still recite, Powder Toast Man, and the classic close-up gross-out shots, which must surely have been, in, which must have surely influenced shows af- after it, like SpongeBob. Oh, absolutely! It definitely had a dark and warped sense of humor, and the mem- and from memory, there were episodes that were hilarious, and some that were so fucked up you were just left scratching your head as to what just <laughs> happened. Can't wait to hear your thoughts on it. Thanks for reading. Well, thank you for your comment. Layton, we appreciate you. You know, what I remember about this cartoon, I, I think that this is one of those interesting cartoons for me that straddles generations because I think that older people and adults, probably you got something different out of it than I did as a younger person. And, you know, 91, I was eight years old or so, maybe seven when it came out. And I know that it premiered in 1990, like as kind of like its pilot or whatever. Yeah. But I didn't realize until I was older how uniquely screwed up this show is and actually you and I were watching a few episodes last night while I was like getting notes together and it really invoked in something in me where I'm like I didn't realize how incredibly it's like visceral and and there's like an angry edge to it you know there's something really interesting when you compare and contrast it to Rugrats and Doug which are so milk toast yeah no I don't mean that that's an insult kind of I don't 
think Doug was a bad show. I actually think Doug was great, but it's so they're so friendly and they're so accessible. And then Ren and Stimpy's just so weird. That's well said, you know? Yeah. And so it, it's so it, it makes you wonder like what Nickelodeon was even thinking. And I know and I, I'm looking forward to getting getting into it because I know that John Kay eventually was gone, that they made it without him, that other people refused to kind of go with him. Yes. That Nickelodeon had a huge problem with him and the direction of the show. So, yeah, I'm excited. So I guess talk to me about the embryonic state of this, how they got this off the ground. And okay. And maybe where John K came from. I was interested in, you know, just re- I was trying to kind of catch up on it, read a little bit about it. I was surprised that he he created these characters in the 70s. Did you? Yeah, yeah. he's I think he first drew. He says he first drew Ren and Stimpy in the 70s sometime. And that was like the genesis. And, you know, he was just drawing. You know, he says that, you know, John K will say, you know, I just wanted to, you know, I'm quoting him. I just wanted to draw this retarded looking cat. And it sort of later on became Stimpy. But him himself, John K and his partner. Lynn Naylor, another cartoonist and animator, sort of created Ren and Stimpy. Yeah, by the early, I think by the early to mid 80s, they were already calling it Ren and Stimpy and they were kind of shopping it around. And so John Kay is a guy, he's, he was born in the, I think he was born in the mid 50s. He's from Canada originally. And a cart, always very interested in cartooning and animation, very inspired by the Warner Brothers cartoons of the 30s and 40s. At that time, Tex Avery and Bob Clampett especially. And sort of came up, went to Sheridan College, which is a very prestigious, still to this day, one of the prestigious animation schools on earth. It's a school very steeped in rich animation history, great professors ever since the 60s and 70s, I believe. But apparently, I read that John Kay was expelled from Sheridan. He didn't, he didn't graduate from there. But anyway, he expelled. went Expelled. He was expelled, and I couldn't find out why. So the controversy starts there. And we'll talk about John Kay in a, you know, now we're talking about the early 90s, the 80s and the 90s. We'll talk about him in a more contemporary sense and what's going on with him now. I think that's a part of, you know, that's that's relevant. We have to get that's got to be part of the story. But so he went on to he came to the States and he worked, you know, in the 70s and 80s on various things. He came over to Ralph Bakshi's place and worked on movies like Hey, Good Looking, American Pop. The New Adventures of Mighty Mouse. He kind of came through the animation, the American animation mill of the 70s and 80s. Filmation. He worked on the Pac-Man cartoon. He worked on the Smurfs. He kind of came through that whole processing, that 80s cartoon processing plant. And, you know, he might have worked on He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. I know he worked on Fat Albert and the Cosby Kids. He worked on a bunch of things as a layout artist, as a storyboard artist, and kind of came through... That normal trajectory of an animator, he learned his craft, he learned TV animation, but his mentor, one of his great mentors was Ralph Bakshi, who's, you know, sort of the New York, we we discussed Ralph Bakshi a little bit with Wizards when we discussed Wizards, one of my guilty pleasure movies, but he was sort of an animation director slash creator, a real maverick New York animator, you know, born in Brooklyn, born in East New York. And spent most of his career, you know, animating and working in New York. And John Kay was sort of under his tutelage. John Kay was, you know, one of his protégés, one of Ralph Bakshi's protégés. And basically through learning his craft and through working with Bakshi and working on other productions, actually pitched when Nickelodeon put the call out for creative-driven cartoons, John Kay had just formed Spumco a couple couple of, I guess, a couple of years earlier and was working on this and that with Lynn Naylor. And pitched them Ren and Stimpy and they picked it up. I think they picked it up right away. It's funny, Kyle. It's striking because you're comparing, you know, as you said, at that time also they were 
developing Rugrats and they were developing Doug, which are, it's, it's a very strike. Red and Stimpy is very strikingly different from those two cartoons. You know, Rugrats was always something classy designed by, created by an animation studio, big animation studio out West called Klasky Chupo. We always studied Rugrats in school. It's actually a very interesting cartoon because a lot of it is sh- from a layout perspective because a lot of it is kind of shown and drawn from a, from a little kid's or a baby's kind of POV from their point of view. So you have this real worm's eye point of view. So we always studied the layouts in that were really striking because everything was very dynamic looking at it from like a floor up angle. So we always studied Rugrats for that. And it's, it's, it's got its own, it's very unique and special in its own right. Uh, although I was never a huge fan. And then Doug, which was sort of a colorful, much more, like you said, much more family friendly, much more wholesome thing. But I liked, I always liked the contrast of those three cartoons between Doug, Ren and Stimpy and Rugrats. They're all very different. They all feel very different. And I think there's probably amongst the three, there's probably something for everybody. There were, And there was probably something for everybody as far as kids went. But Ren and Stimpy was always very striking to me because of the artfulness and the the level of craftsmanship it was very very it was you know beautifully animated and we'll get into all the reasons but it was really really well executed and it it felt authentic it was beholden to a very specific vision and there was something really authentic about it it was offbeat extremely offbeat extremely wacky and truly weird you know the difference between something that's trying to be weird and something that's just legitimately odd. Definitely. And that's what Ren and Stimpy has. That's really what makes it shine. It's truly strange. It's a strange show. And we'll get into all the reasons what, you know, of why that is. It's funny you say that because when I was reading about it, they were saying that, I guess after John K. left or was removed from the project, that people were criticizing the show, I guess the latter half of the run or whatever, that it was exactly that, that they were trying to be weird that they were trying to do what his humor was without actually executing trying it. to emulate that John Kate right. trying to capture that lightning in a bottle but you can't it's, right exactly that's very that's very special to him and his sort of perspective yeah eventually Nick you know we'll get to this eventually the after the first two seasons the series was taken from John Kay and there's some controversy as to why that was was it because he was always pushing the envelope as far as content and doing things that were not so kid-friendly and trying to always push the envelope as far as what was going too far? Or was it because that he had trouble delivering the episodes on time and he was a perfectionist? Was it a combination of both things? But in any event, after the second season, Nickelodeon took it away from John Kay and his studio, Spumco, and gave it to their newly formed in-house animation division Nickelodeon had just formed their own division called games animation which later went on to become Nickelodeon animation studio but at that time it was games and games also did they did seasons three four and five of Ren and Stimpy they also did Rocco's Modern Life they did a couple other things before Nickelodeon animation studios proper became an entity right right so that's that's what happened so we're and really this discussion, I should I should really circle this by saying this discussion is really about the first two. For me, is really about the first two. The meat of it is about the first two seasons of Ren and Stimpy and those authentic John K. Spumco episodes. I think it's 32 episodes, actually. And John K. and Spumco himself. That's really what this episode is focusing on. Right, right, right. So... Just so you guys knew. Well, John Ciccarelli wrote into us on okay. Patreon and said, this hey, was a John. little before my time. 
but my early memories include nightmare-inducing Ren and Stimpy scenes. Was this an indicator of the early Nickelodeon days in general, also thinking of Rocco's Modern Life, or was this more of an outlier? Uh, this is an interesting question to me, Dagan, because Nickelodeon had a different identity. When this you know, show started, I guess they picked it up in 1990, it, was picked, you know, it started really its run in 1991, Nickelodeon did have a more adult identity with not only its cartoon offerings, which were kind of slim, there was obviously stuff that catered with Nick Jr., which I think started in 1988. They were obviously catering towards a younger audience. But when I think of, we, we did a whole Nickelodeon episode, for instance, specifically about Nickelodeon in the 80s. And when you think about you can't do this on television and, and a bunch of other shows that they were doing at the time, there was more of an adult or teen angle to it than I think ended up happening like by the mid 90s when they had like Roundhouse and all that and stuff where it was kind of starting to skew younger. Right. So for me, when I look at it, it, it from the modern lens, Rocco or not Rocco's modern life, but Ren and Stimpy seemed to be more in line with what Nickelodeon was, which was pushing a little bit more of the envelope. And I guess these original trilogy of Nicktoons kind of seems to run the gamut. Rugrats seems to be aimed very young, although I know older people liked it. And I, I couldn't believe, by the way, Rugrats ran for 13 years. Yeah, I had no idea. That, that they, had a lot, really long shelf. Which is unbelievable. Life. I just never really understood. Isn't that, that show. crazy? Doug ran only from ninety one to ninety four, I guess, and then it moved to ABC until ninety seven. Disney bought it, right? And very Doug has strange. Great. That has a very strange story behind it. Oh, I got it. Yeah, you got it. Well, we'll save that. Yeah, we'll save it for later. Yeah. But Doug kind of seemed to aim towards the middle, and then Ren and Simpy seemed to aim higher. It almost seemed like an MTV show, you know, or, or something you would find it like when you think about Daria and stuff like that later Absolutely. on, which I love. I love Daria. Like it seemed to be something more in, that, in line with that, right? But I always found, you know, the, the, the talk about Ren and Stimpy really fascinating, specifically on if they were a gay couple and, you know, but that wasn't stuff that I was aware of at the time. I mean, I'm watching it now, watching those episodes with you and reading about it. I mean, I think it's very clear that they're a gay couple. You know, I don't know if that's true or not, but I wonder how did this go? How did this go down with Nickelodeon? Were they <laughs> incensed immediately by the content? I don't were parents think so. upset about it or was the network upset about it? I, you know, what's funny. I haven't read that. I would imagine, especially during that era, we're talking about the 80s and 90s. And we read about all the angry parent groups with video games, for instance, right around that time. I didn't read that, that there was that much backlash from parents. There might have been, but I didn't read that much that there was. And I don't remember there being... That, that being a conversation even with my friend's parents. You know, like this came out when I was in the middle of high school. So, and I, you know, I was obviously a little older, but I don't remember that. I had younger siblings, and I, I honestly don't remember hearing anything like that. I think it's really interesting what you said, because I think Nickelodeon was very happy to have Ren and Stimpy as part of their gamut of new animated shows and sort of ushering in that and proud to be a part of that creator-driven animated series thing that look how that became. I mean, look what that blossomed into now. With things like Adventure Time and, you know, Chowder and Gumball and all these huge animation studios, all these huge, you know, SpongeBob and Steven Universe and all these crazy things that become empires, basically, for Disney, Nickelodeon and Cartoon Network. And I think Nickelodeon is really happy to be sort of the pioneering that and the executives over there that we'll talk about that were part of pioneering that. And I think... Although it's not talked about often, I think it was very strategic in that trilogy of Rugrats, Doug and Ren and Stimpy to, I think it was part of their strategy to be appealing to all ages with Rugrats being the youngest and Ren and Stimpy being somewhere wacky in the middle or maybe even skewing older and Doug skewing even a little older than that. Oh, so you think think Doug was actually skewing the most old? I think, yeah, because it was about a kid who was in, well, at that time, what it was junior high school, I think. Later on, when Disney bought it, it was like kind of like his older years. Oh, I didn't even know that. I don't yeah. even know if I ever saw those episodes. To be so I think and I think Doug and Ren and Stimpy are interchangeable because 
you could skew either one of those up or down because one's wholesome and one's not. But you could see seven-year-olds being really attracted to the wackiness of Ren and Stimpy. You know, I think it was, although they don't talk about it this way, I think it really was part of the marketing strategy with those three things. And it's really important to note, too, that the people working on these three shows went on to be the next wave of creator-driven shows at the networks, for instance, Dexter's Laboratory, Powerpuff Girls, Two Stupid Dogs, Johnny Bravo, all that kind of stuff. So really, and you know what, we should also preface it by saying what Ren and Stimpy is. Ren and Stimpy is basically a very simple cartoon harkening back to a very classic animation model of basically a story of a dog and a cat. Ren is a chihuahua. Stimpy is a cat. One's a curmudgeon. One's sort of a lighthearted goof. It's like the odd couple. A total odd couple and a very simple, albeit ingenious formula as far as, a, and again, harkening back to the old classic cartoon model of these characters could be anything. There's really no continuity unless they wanted there to be continuity. These two characters could be anything in any given episode. They could be astronauts in one episode. The next episode, they could be homeless, you know, derelicts on the street looking for $5 so they could eat. They're starving. The next episode, they could be, you know, famous TV stars. And the next episode, they could be fire dogs. Like it doesn't, there's no continuity. It's a totally open-ended model to just do whatever they wanted. It's It's brilliant. Because it's completely open-ended. Right. And yeah, there's no need to totally have a, a Bible, basically, or anything like that. Nothing. The only the only through line and the only consistent thing, and part of the reason why Ren and Stimpy is so brilliant, is their two personalities. Their two personalities remain consistent. Ren is the grumpy curmudgeon, and Stimpy is sort of the lovable goof that's, that Ren is just perpetually frustrated with. Those two personalities carry through. But it doesn't. But they could be anything. That was one of the reasons that made the show so much fun. I could just imagine coming up with all the scenarios for Ren and Stimpy. You could do. You could have done anything with these characters, and that's what made it a lot of fun. And that was really missing from animation during you know as we were rounding out the '80s and coming into the '90s. It wasn't really like that. It was still. We were still coming off of the animation Saturday morning, you know, cartoons as a toy commercial type thing, with. You know, which I also love, but, you know, in Smurfs and, you know, Pac-Man and Masters of the Universe and G.I. Joe and, you know, even those those things, you know, the stuff that we were sort of getting from Japan and, you know, Gem and the Holograms, whatever it was, that was all, you know, we were kind of coming out of that toy commercial, you know, make a show to sell a product type of thing. Now the creator driven cartoons were different. It wasn't about merchandise necessarily. It was about creating something that struck a chord with kids. Maybe products would come out of it. Maybe they won't. Maybe they wouldn't. So it was a whole different model. It was very. It was changing, and it was actually pretty exciting. You know, it was pretty exciting to have that. And I, I bet it was very exciting for the animation talent and the animators at that point. You know, that had come out of working on cutting their teeth and starting a career working on these shows that were. That were in effect, I guess you could say, in a way, soul, more soulless. You know, it was like, make sure Optimus Prime is seen 20 times in this episode because we want to sell the toy. It was, this is a whole different thing now. And this was, and Ren and Stimpy was one of the first ones to do that. And it was so striking how different it was. You know, it really kind of announced itself as being something different. Do you think, I know that you said it was part of their strategy and kind of playing into this late 80s, early 90s kind of aesthetic or want for a new aesthetic for cartoons, but where did the trouble begin 
for them? Like, where did the trouble begin for John Kay and where did the trouble begin for their their content? Because it seems like they weren't there were people or powers that be that weren't impressed with where this was going. And I know you a lot of it you said was like the production timeline and the pipeline was kind of clogged. Yeah, but they can't have I couldn't have only been that because it seems like there was quite there was a lot of acrimony over this very quickly. Yeah. So I'm wondering like where quick. Yeah. So I'm wondering like where that where it all went wrong and why they decided to continue it without him and all that kind of stuff. You know, talk to me a little bit about that. I think that what you had in 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 Nickelodeon, we'll talk a little bit about the climate and sort of the the way Nickelodeon was working internally at that point. As far, especially as far as Nickelodeon's animation content, you had producers and executives like people like Vanessa Coffey and Geraldine Laybourne, who were very, who was the president of Nickelodeon at that time, who were very friendly to animation and very, very friendly to talent. They were kind of ushering in a new environment and sort of a creator friendly environment where animation wasn't always like that. It was like, we're hiring you to do a job. This is the show. This is what you're going to do. This is the way you're going to storyboard it. This is the way it's going to go beat for beat. You got to get this character into the scene. It was very structured and very rigid. And I think they were opening up a new thing to invite talent in to do something that resonated. Now, you don't see that a lot in a corporate structure, that sort of mantra you know, to actually kind of welcome in creators, be friendly to them, let them do their thing, let them pursue their visions, let them be artists. So they were really, not that it was so lovey-dovey and such this hippy-dippy thing, but it was much more so than it was in the past. So you could you could see a guy like John Kay who was coming out, who was a protege of Ralph Bakshi, who was like the, one of the biggest mavericks in animation ever, sort of feeling much more comfortable in an atmosphere like this rather than 1982 working on Masters of the Universe, you know what I mean? So you could see that maybe John Kay would thrive in an environment like this. And creatively, I think he did. And creatively, I think they let him. Now, they they also stand between Nickelodeon and just regular the regular TV culture and standards and practices and so forth. There has to be a give and take as far as what's acceptable and there has to be rules and regulations. There has to be checks and balances. So if John Kay was putting in too many sexual innuendos, they had to check it. They had to bump him a little bit. And I think in retrospect, and we'll talk about what later on, what when John Kay was really given his power to run with something that it didn't work, I think those checks and balances really worked for Ren and Stimpy because it was just enough to get away with. After John Kay did his thing and his people did his thing, and then the powers that be at Nickelodeon sort of ran their gentle checks and balances. It came out with something that was special and that maybe was a little bit more innuendo than normal. Maybe was a little more gross out than normal. Maybe it was a little more rude, a little weird, a little more strange, a little more odd and offbeat. But it came out to be something refreshing instead of something that went too far. But I think, I really do think what happened with John Kay was that he wasn't, I think they probably would have put up with his antics as far as maybe pushing it too far or maybe like, John, we told you to take this out and it's still in there. I think they would have put up with that sort of, I don't know if I want to call it necessarily. He, I think they would have put up with his antics and how defiant he was if he just met his deadlines. But I could see John Kay being a very big perfectionist. He was very, and I'll tell you a little bit about his philosophy with making cartoons. He's a very talented cartoonist. 
and he surrounded himself with the best talent. And his mantra was really to go in and did what they did at places like Looney Tunes in the 30s and 40s and 50s when they had really high budgets. And they literally just gave these guys crews and said, all right, here, go over to this building, go to Termite Terrace, you have a year, make me four Bugs Bunny cartoons. That was literally the culture. They didn't care what they were making. There was money. They were throwing it at them. The guys were talented. They knew they were going to make a nice, a good product. They left them alone. They came back in a year. They showed them four cartoons. Well, I think John John K came and showed them three cartoons. And when you're working in you know the business of animation, I know how it is to be a perfectionist. And I preface that by saying I am a perfectionist. That doesn't. But when you say you have to be careful when you say perfectionist because that doesn't mean you're creating something perfect. Right. That means you're trying to create something perfect. You really want to create something perfect. You're striving to do that. And I think John Kay was a perfectionist. For instance, he forbid, he actually forbid his artists to make the same drawing twice. If Ren was talking, let's say Ren was saying four sentences in a, in a, in a scene, in one cut. Maybe Ren's in a medium shot. He's saying four sentences. Maybe he makes the O sound with his mouth, the phonetic O, right? Maybe he makes that sound 16 times. Not one of those drawings could be the same. That was John Kay's rule. Never the same drawing twice. If you were using Ren and he was sort of talking and he, he made a gesture with his hand out and then you used it again eight scenes later, you weren't allowed to do that. You had to redraw that and draw it differently. So he had this rule of never the same drawing twice. He had a very hard and fast rules for the quality of his shows that you could see in Ren and Stimpy. They're very dynamic. They're very, there's no reuse. Everything's hand-drawn. And everything's beautifully animated. He really stressed that in his product, that sort of level of quality. And I think that level of quality is wonderful and we appreciate it as a viewer, but you're not going to meet your deadlines when it comes to that. TV animation, there, there's a start and a be- you have this long to work on the episode. You have this long to do the storyboard. Storyboard has to be done. Lock it down. You got to record. You got to do the layouts. You got to animate. There's no animation is very labor intensive. Even the worst animation is very labor-intensive. So I think John Kay's philosophy with the visuals and how how wonderful he wanted to make it was where they hit trouble. I don't think it was with... I really inherently don't think it was with what he was doing and the content. I think it was just not meeting the deadlines. And I think they had it. I think they've had it. You know, he, he got away with it for two seasons and they took it from him. And it's a shame. I think that's the saddest thing that you could do to a creator is take their own thing away from them. You know, and it fractured, you know, a lot of these guys on John Kay's crew and at Spumco and Carbuncle Animation, who was like a subcontracting studio um, run by Bob Jock up in Canada. They, these guys were friends for years. These guys came up together in the 60s and 70s and 80s working on cartoons together. They were finally doing their own thing. And when they took the show from John Kay, it splintered the group. Billy West, who is a famous voice actor that did the voice of Stimpy, stayed on with games and Nickelodeon. John K. didn't want him to stay on. He stayed on. And a lot of the crew... Um, well, he also did Ren's voice for in... in and then he did he took over Ren's voice as well. Because John K. was doing Ren's John voice? John K. did Ren's voice for the first couple of seasons. That's unbelievable. That's like an unbelievable betrayal. Which yeah. is really good, right? And, it, you know, Ren, of course, a lot of people know, inspired by Peter Lorre, you know, famous classical movie actor. But, you know, a lot of the people, a lot of the people, a lot of the talent key guys on the show, you know, designers and animators and layout artists, Bob Camp, Chris Ricciardi, 
all these guys, they stayed on the show and there was a lot of bad blood over that because, you know, John Kay was kicked off his show and they stayed. What was the nature of him getting kicked off? I mean, did they own they because he brought back the show in 2003, he must have still retained the IP. Spunko must have retained the IP. Yeah. So they, how do they have the right? They must have had a contract that they had an X amount of episodes that they were allowed to produce or something. You know, what's weird, Kyle. I don't think John Kay ever owned it again. I think Nickelodeon owned it. If I'm not mistaken and correct me if I'm wrong out there, I think Nickelodeon owned it in perpetuity. Nickelodeon, I say it's Viacom. And because Nickelodeon, Ren and Stimpy was also shown on MTV. It was shown across the Viacom family of channels. And that's where I, I think Leighton was saying he had it on VHS that he taped off TV. I, I taped a bunch of episodes off MTV and I just watched them over and over again. I think I had every one of them of the first couple of seasons. And later on, when he was going to, when John Kay was called in in the mid 2000s, I guess it was, to do Ren and Stimpy adult party cartoon, it was for TNN, which was going to be Spike, which was later going on to be Spike TV also a Viacom channel. So it was still under Viacom's umbrella. I see. So I think that's how it worked out. You know, they were ready to give him another chance and say, okay, now you could do what you really want to do and we'll talk about that. So I think, I, if I'm not mistaken, that's why it worked because it was still under Viacom's umbrella. Were those, was that schism between the people on the different staffs? Was that permanent? Like what where, where did, did the voice actor camp ever make up with John Kay? Did he do the voices in the new one from 2003? No, Billy West never came Billy back. West. Were, I'm sorry, not camp, Billy West. Yeah, Billy West was was the voice of Stimpy. He stayed on and no, it caused quite a schism with them. In fact, did you see John Kay, Billy West, apparently Billy West was part of Howard Stern's sort of show for a while. He sat in, you know, like one of his Baba Booey type characters. Right, 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 right. I don't know how short-lived it was, but Billy West was part of Howard Stern's show for a while. Well, Howard Stern had John Kay on to hash it out during an episode. I watched it on YouTube a couple of times, which I had never known about. And John Kay basically broke, and Billy West, you know, and Howard and Robin basically broke down the story of how everything happened and how it went down. And it wasn't good. It was, you know, there was a lot of bad blood over it. And my heart goes out to all the artists who were part of it because, you know, you have guys like Chris Ricciardi and Jim Smith and Bill Ray and Bob Camp and Vincent Waller and Lynn Naylor and Jim Gomez. All these guys that are like went on to be like the who's who of Cartoon Network and Disney and running running their own shows and stuff. And this was the first this was their first thing together. You know, again, coming David Sheldon, all these great illustrators and cartoonists and animators. And that that's where I imagine the schism was tough because animation is a tough business. It's very specialized, even more so back then before computer animation was really ushered in and before there were more jobs. It was very specialized. There wasn't that many people doing it. So all these guys knew each other. The level of separation, the degree of separation was not, it didn't even exist. They all knew each other and they all came up together. So that was always a heartbreaking thing for me. But I really think it was due to John Kay's just just his complete obstinance when it came to hitting deadlines. I really suspect that's what it was because Ren and Stimpy was very successful for Nickelodeon. It was it was quite the the cult hit. You know, people really loved it. And I know we I mean growing up, we me and my friends absolutely loved it. I mean, talk about the first memes, the first sound bites. I mean, probably the first cartoon I can remember that you would quote. Straw Hat Ninja wrote into us about that. He said, I can't that. believe I was allowed to watch this as a little kid with all the violence and gross humor. But I benefited, obviously. And how could you not remember the song? Happy, happy, joy, joy, oh my God, which the- we watched yesterday. Great memories. 
it's there. so good it really is it really is very quotable and i mean i remember you me and, and Allie, our sister always saying you know like you said at the beginning what was it mr horse the, the, yeah mr yeah. horse yeah yeah no sir no, i don't, sir, like, I don't it. like it <laughs> <laughs> it really is funny and it really there it really was so multi-layered like watching it as an adult for really the first time there's just so much i didn't get yeah. oh there's so much that must have went over a kid of your age's head there was so much innuendo in that show. It's really striking what they were getting away with. I think that's why it was able to go on the way it went on for as long as it did. And even in the games animation series, even in the rest of the season after it was taken from John Kay, it still was very irreverent. It still was very much, you know, it had a lot of gross out humor. It had a lot of innuendo. It was very naughty. There was a lot of, you know, dicey situations and things that you might question for a kid. But I think it was it was enough to go over the kid's head. And I think that's what made it safe, quote unquote. Right. And it was also I think I really do think not a lot of people say this, but I also really think the character of Stimpy is so innocent and so cute that I think that was a buffer. I think that was a reason why they got away with as much as they did, because if you had two Wrens, <laughs> if you had two Ren Hoics. You know, cursing and getting angry, right, right. and you know, you know, strangling people and threatening, literally threatening to say, "I want, I'm going to kill you," like stuff like that. It would never went I'm over. Going to kill you! I'm going to kill you. Hey, Ren, I can't even do the voice. That was pretty good. Yeah. I'm not bad. Yeah, well, <laughs> Maximilian Nibbler wrote into us and said, "Was this show the origin of that brand of disturbing cartoon humor?" The first time I saw it, it was at my best friend's house in elementary school, and I knew it from the beginning. It was something unusual. Seems deeply similar to shows like Invader Zim, and I wonder whether it was the inspiration of this psychologically unsettling offshoot of the adult cartoon. You talked about kind of where his inspirations came from, but is it really the first of its kind in terms of, you know, its genetics? Like, it seems like it has a bunch of junk DNA from like this old stuff, but yeah, you can draw kind of parallels or at least like kind of this lineage from it to I don't know if I see Invader Zim in it so much, but. So maybe I maybe I'm wrong, but I which I know is another cartoon you love. Oh, my God. But Jordan Vasquez is one of my favorite creators. But do you think that that's like the origin? Because we ha I guess we do have stuff like that later on. That's kind of very similar to this. That's not necessarily about the gross out humor, but just like kind of more adult, you know, adult fair. Yeah. Know? Well, you know what it is, Kyle? It, what for me, I think and for for most people, it was sort of our first foray into something that was maybe a little pushing past the boundaries and maybe going a little too far, that was actually a television series. Because, again, earlier you had guys like Ralph Bakshi doing, even in the 70s, doing films like Fritz the Cat and Hey Good Looking and Street Fight and Coonskin and all these. But they were feature films. And, you know, those were animated. That was animated fare that featured sex, that featured violence, that featured gore. But... The thing of it was they were feature films. You had to see them in a movie theater. They weren't on television. And John Kay coming up under, especially coming up under Ralph Bakshi as a mentor, is definitely something that wasn't an accident. I mean, John Kay got a lot of that from Ralph Bakshi. I think he saw somebody, I think John Kay saw in Ralph Bakshi compared to some of the, maybe the some of the people that he worked for and other people that he worked for in television that was a little more clean and clean cut. I think he saw in Ralph Bakshi that maverick, that person that was bold enough and brave enough to pursue his vision, even though it was different than a Walt Disney, even though it was different than a Bugs Bunny, a Hanna-Barbera, a Filmation, you know, a Ruby Spears, whatever it was, that Rankin-Bass, his vision was different. His vision was to do something offbeat, 
to do something wacky, to do something that was a little naughty. And I think Ren and Stimpy was the first time it was done on television. I think, again, its DNA could be traced back to the new adventures of Mighty Mouse. Again, sort of another Ralph Bakshi thing. When they were silly enough to give Ralph Bakshi a television series, it got crazy. The new adventures of Mighty Mouse was very controversial. I don't know if you know about this, Kyle. There was a whole scene in the thing where, you know, not to get into a big offshoot here, but... There's a scene in the New Adventures of Mighty Mouse where Mighty Mouse takes a flower and sniffs it and then gains all this power. And they were saying the gut, the actual standards and practices went after it, saying like that was a they, they were saying that was cocaine. It was like this big controversy. That was probably the first moment in television animation, children's animation, that that was called into question. John Kay worked on that show. So that DNA could be traced back to that. But really, Ren and Stimpy is the first series to sort of take that model and sort of have that philosophy and that look and feel and that sort of gross out humor and sort of, you know, push the boundaries that that as far as it did. And everything else was an imitator of it. Talk to me a little bit about the difference. You're talking about kind of the first two seasons being kind of sacrosanct compared to, I guess, when Nick Studios took over, Nick Animation Studios, which was, what well, you said, games? Games animation, yeah. Can you tell the difference between them? If I put them in front of you just from an animation style, if I just played five seconds of one, five seconds of the other, no audio, would you be able to tell? Yeah. Well, I know because I know I know the episodes. Right, right. But there was the games animations, the games animation seasons, the seasons three, four and five are well done. A lot of the same people are working on that stuff. You have all all the same layout guys, the same character designers. Some of the same animators, Carbuncle Animation was still, as far as I know, still subcontracting. So you had Bob Jock and his brilliant animation crew working on that, still working on the series. The only person missing was John Kay, but when you don't have John Kay's sort of DNA in it, it's very striking because there's something, there's an intangible, when, when somebody creates something, like let's say you create something, Kyle. Somebody could come in. Somebody could be very in- attached to it. Somebody could be inherently know it inside and out. But if you go off it and I jump in your place, I inherently know your thing inside and out, but I'm still not you. So the the thing, the whatever that magic that John Kay brought, those specific things, those specific elements, when he was missing from the show, it was noticeable. And I think a lot of it is very forced in interpreting what John Kay was, you know, okay, we're just going to do a lot of gross out humor. That's not really what Ren and the first two Ren, series, the first two seasons of Ren and Stimpy was. It was more than that. It was truly offbeat. It was odd. There was a, a little bit of an anger behind it. There was a little bit of a wackiness behind it, you know, and then you had all of John Kay's philosophies of not making the same drawing twice you know, you can make that drawing better. You could push it further. You could make it more dynamic. You could twist the body. You could make it more grotesque. Whatever it was, there was something when somebody's running a show, like a John Kay is running a show, it's all beholden to his final say. He has final word on it. And it's not going to get past him if it's not up to his standard. When his when he was missing, then his standard was missing. It's still not John Kay. Did no one go with him? Like out of the core team, like everyone chose. He to was stay? completely out of work. I mean, he had nothing. I think I don't think anyone just said, "I'm going to go with you." Maybe Lynn Naylor, who is his partner and co-founder of Spumco, went off with him because I don't remember seeing her name in the credits of the games animation seasons. 
But I could be wrong about that. I think he was sort of off on his own. And I think that w- that's what was so hard about it. Because an animator is not, animation's tough business. You know, an animator is not just going to say, let's say I'm a Chris or Charty. I'm, I'm, di- I'm directing episodes of Ren and Stimpy for Nickelodeon or art directing episodes, whatever. Early 90s, let's say he's making 100000 a year. I'm not just going to say, okay, I'll, I'll just going to go. You know, he's not, he's got to work. Yeah, no, it's, it's not as you know simple. I mean? It's not as simple it's as, not as, as simple. taking a principal stand. You can't stand. just go and get another job in animation. It's hard, especially back then. There wasn't that much stuff going on yet. Right, right. So I think that was, you know, that's really where John Kay was left to his own devices. Now, a lot of these guys went on to work together again. And I think that just speaks to the nature of animation. And, you know, maybe there were certain people that it didn't, you know, John Kay didn't take it personal. You know, maybe they worked hard for him. They had a, you know, whatever happened. It was a business decision. Heads had the role. It was a business decision. It's interesting because, you know, yeah, I guess you have to kind of draw the line, the delineation between, you know, your loyalty to a person and, and the business itself, which is, which is super fascinating. Is it true that Nickelodeon offered to basically keep paying him like as an advisor? I think and, they, he tar- and he said basically they can go fuck themselves. That I didn't know about. Yeah, I think I read it. I read that when I was doing a little bit of cursory research that they basically offered to keep paying him and like keep him on. Like he just wasn't going to be an active participant anymore, right. and he didn't want that. Or he didn't want that. He was probably very headstrong. I mean, the picture having the level of success he did with a show, his first, you know, he worked on many shows and kind of cut his teeth and learned his trade. Now he's got his very first show, as successful as it was, and I'm sure he knew it was good. And Ren and Stimpy was a really beautifully done show. I was going to ask you about that. Talk to me a little bit. We we mentioned in a question before about or a comment before about the clo- the gross up close shots, also the the paintings. Right. There's like. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about that, because that's such an interesting stylistic approach that seems unnecessarily complicated, first of all, you know, but is like one of the calling cards of the show, you know, that every few minutes it would go to this weird still or this weird close up of, you know, Stimpy's nose or something. (laughs) Yeah. You know. Ren's brain or whatever the case might be, but then this really beautiful painting and then back to this normal animation. And so what was the design decision behind that? What was inspired? What inspired that? I think, again, it was inspired probably by the cartoons of the 30s and 40s where they had very high budgets and they were able to do stuff like that. If they cut away to, you know, they cut away to a painting of something or a close up of something or a character reading a piece of paper or whatever. They did that in the 40s. They just John Kay just kind of took those things and made it into his own thing. So what he did was there was a lot of those stylistic things that that he created with Ren and Stimpy that are still carried on in animation today. He started a lot of this stuff. He just leveraged it from the old Fleischer and Warner Brothers cartoons and made it, okay, every time we do a close-up, it's going to be this gorgeously ornate, you know, close-up picture of an armpit with flies in it, it's and maggots awesome. and hair and right. stuff like that. So he just took something that used to be sweet and made it irreverent and then made it a consistent thing as part of the show. Yeah, it's brilliant. And it's so brilliant. Everybody, every it's so it's so cool. Every artists and non art and non artist types alike talk about that. Everybody's very struck by that, and that means a lot because John Kay really started. He took something, he borrowed something, and made it his own thing. Leveraged it, made it his own thing, and people really responded to it. They remember Ren and Stippy for that. So that's really cool. You know, that's really awesome. And the the gorgeous level of animation in the show. You don't see animation like this. That it's just almost has a feature quality. And there, you know, again, from episode to episode, depending on what episode and what season you're talking about, the level of animation varies. It's not consistent. Some of it's very A team and some of it's very B team. But pound for pound, 
you didn't see animation like this on television. That it was this full, gorgeous, you know, cartoony, almost feature quality animation that always looked different. Again, beholden to John Kay's philosophy of never making the same drawing twice, never making the same expression twice. And the level of act we were talking about last night, the level of acting and expressiveness in the characters, when a character's mad or when a character's sad or when a character's crying or when a character's just done with being crying or when a character's prideful, all those expressions with Ren and Stimpy and some of the supporting characters, so striking. He he really he really raised the bar as far as performance, as far as acting, as far as humor. He had the, you know, we talked about the close-up paintings. He also had a very fo- a formula that was very sort of harkened back to the cartoons of the 50s and 60s where there were embedded commercials. It almost felt like you were watching a Saturday morning block of cartoons in the 60s. You know, he had built-in commercials for log or powder toast or, you know, whatever it was. All those, it felt... It was the and it, that was the first time too where people were kind of lampooning the the stuff the kids shows of the fifties and sixties that became a trend. This created a lot of trends in not only in cartoons but in media, and I don't know if it gets enough credit for that. You know, there would I would argue that there there wouldn't even be who knows what the climate would look like today, but there might not be a Dexter's Lab, a Powerpuff Girls, a SpongeBob, all these other things, all these other successful cartoons. A South Park. I mean, all the things that this sort of paved the way for. I know Mike Judge credits Ren and Stimpy for, you know, helping to evolve Beavis and Butthead and being very inspired by it. So it's, you know, it's very striking. You can see that. You could totally see that. Absolutely. Even though stylistically they're so different Mm -hmm. and the content is so different. I think. I love Beavis and Butthead. Oh, it's so good. It's so funny. I was just watching, what was I watching? Like Frog Baseball the other day. One of the really old ones. One of the original ones. It's so funny. It's so funny that I wasn't allowed to watch that as a kid, even though I watched it at my friend's house, but I was allowed to watch Ren and Stimpy, which seemed in, in a lot of ways more extreme. It's fooled. I think it fooled a lot of parents because it just looked like a cartoon. Right, right. Yeah, unless you really you know? paid attention to how really over the top it was. <laughs> uh, are Ren and Stimpy gay? You know what? I, I always, it was sort of like a Burton or anything for me. Like I don't, I, I think it was better left unsaid. And, you know, we'll get into this a little bit now when John Kay was given his chance to sort of revive Ren and Stimpy and he came back with Ren and Stimpy's adult party cartoon and everything became so over the top. You know, it was John Kay unplugged, unchecked. It was Ren and Stimpy are gay. They're harassing women on the beach. They're drinking. They're smoking cigarettes. It was like there was nothing. Nothing was alluded to anymore. He was, he, you know, it's like show, don't tell. You know, he was telling everything now, you know, and that's why I think, you know, we could talk about it more, but I think that's why it didn't last long. Yeah, it seemed like it got he made Ren Stimpy gay. Stimpy got pregnant, you know, in one of the episodes (laughs) like they were gay, you know. (laughs) Well, because I mean, I think that that was always, you know, and I was struck by this. I I guess I didn't really notice it because you brought up Bert and Ernie who slept in the same bedroom, for instance, but slept in separate beds. Very. uh, I love Lucy or Dick Van Dyke style. But Ren and Stimpy slept in the same bed. That's you know, right. Like, they usually did. And so there was just little odes to it where I, I mean, I wasn't cognizant of it as a kid, you know, and of course you have to kind of put in the quintessential. There's nothing wrong with that. Of course there's not. But, you know, it seems pretty overt that they were gay and he made. Yes, you're right. I guess in this I never saw this new adult party cartoon from 2003, the short lived adult party cartoon where I guess he makes them gay. But doesn't that answer the question? 
his intent was to make them gay. His intent was that they were gay. I'm sure that was always discussed behind the scenes. I can't see John K. Like, I'm sure that was a thing where they were putting that in there. And just because they were beholden to Nickelodeon and all the standards and practices at the time that they couldn't directly answer it. So they went around, they skirted around the issue just by, you know, sort of insinuating but answering it, I just think answering all those things makes it less fun. You know, I just think it makes it less fun when you're outwardly answering it rather than sort of stringing people along and making. And again, of course, it's, there's nothing wrong with it, but you got to look at it in context of its time. You know, this was a pretty racy thing to do as the 90s was starting out on television for children. That wasn't a thing yet at all. For sure. I mean, even what, seven, eight years later after after Ren and Simbia began, I mean, Ellen had come out on her show, her sitcom as a lesbian, and that was considered very racy, you know, and very controversial. Absolutely. And I think cost her professionally for a little while. Obviously, she's on top of the world now. But I think that she even talks about how I think I was watching comedians with cars get in cars getting coffee with side oh, and she was that on one. that one. And Does she, she talk I, about that. I think so a little bit. I think she talks a little bit about, you know, the injury that she suffered because of that. But was adult party cartoon canceled because of its zany? Like, why was it canned so quickly? You think people were, there just no market for it anymore? Were people taken aback by it's over the top nature? What was, cause I had read that there were six, only six episodes produced and three of them never aired. So, I mean, it got pulled quick. It got pulled. I mean, really that's really quick. quick. I mean, what that's had, like, six aired and then they pulled it, right? Is oh, that I, I read that? that six were created and three were unaired. That, oh, like, okay. Oh, wow. So actually half of it was on air. Yeah. I'm sure they released them on DVD or something, but, yeah, and then there was, I read, just on Wikipedia, I do, because I, I just, I didn't even know that existed until you told me later on, and I just went and read about it really quickly, and there, and then there's a bunch of ideas, I guess they sketched out a bunch of ideas that they never did for a bunch of other episodes, but I had read six episodes, three of them never aired. So that I'm, could I'm, be, that could very well be the case. So, I probably have that written here somewhere, let me look. So I'm curious, why? That, that just seems awfully quick, I mean, that's really quick, even for like bombing sitcoms on network television, they don't get pulled after three episodes. Yeah, that's really fast. So something happened. Something Maybe it was just not no one was watching it. I don't know. You know. Yeah, let me look, let me look through my notes. But you know, what's funny about adult party cartoon Kyle? when when with John K with his shackles off, it just didn't work. You know, he just needed he I think his his vision is so odd that I just think he needs someone to check him. And I think that's when it comes out. You know, someone to sort of provide that buffer and say, no, this is kind of funnier if you just kind of hint at it, you know, and I think that's a that's not only with Ren and Stimpy. I think that's just a, a typical comedy formula. I think people just inherently know that. Yeah. You know, that it's just you're not supposed to go. Don't push it too far. Leave something to the imagination, you know. Leave those those questions answered. Are Ren and Stimpy really gay? You know, sort of keep hinting at it in cartoons. Have fun with it. You know, but don't directly answer. I think it was just, you know, him with his shackles off and the raunchiness just was flying everywhere. And it's a shame about the way it ended up with that. We, I guess we should talk about John Kay more mo in more modern times. I think it would be conspicuous if we didn't talk about the allegations leveled against him and stuff like that. Absolutely. I want to get to that point. But in between the founding of Spumco and then Ren and Stimpy's kind of advent until let's say the allegations surfaced, which I think was earlier this year or earlier in 2018, depending on when you're listening to this. I don't want to just date this. Yeah. What else did he do? Did he do anything else of major consequence? Yeah. So he, when John Kay, you know, he, by the mid nineties, Ren and Stimpy wasn't his anymore. During the mid to late nineties, he got very involved with music videos and he did stuff with Bjork and Tenacious D and stuff like that. But he also did, he was very involved with 
commercial animation. He did a he did a whole Nike ad campaign. He did stuff for Market Pantry. He did stuff for Old Navy. He did really beautiful series of commercials that were really like a masterclass in animation. I remember being up at my first couple of jobs in Connecticut and in New York. We would study them and pull them apart, you know, in the early days of the internet, like watch the Nike commercial and see, like he did a whole Nike campaign with the animated Big Bad Wolf and Little Red Riding Hood. They were awesome. They were so inventive in terms, not only in terms of design, but in terms of animation where the character would do an anticipation and instead of like going back with its eyes with his eyes closed before he took off to run, he would shrink down to like three hundred percent of his previous size. Like he was doing all this really, but it would just you would feel it. It would be so fast that you would just feel it and you'd be like, "What just happened there?" And just frame by frame the animation, so inventive. I the the um his old navy commercials, Spumco's old navy commercials and Nike commercials were the most striking for me. He did a bunch. And then when internet animation and sort of flash animation became a big thing, he was a very early purveyor of that with the George Licker cartoon and doing some other stuff that he did, not only with Spunko, but he did for Cartoon Network. He did a bunch of stuff. He was very integral in web animation and did a bunch of stuff. And uh, was that one weekend that he did a show called, was that one weekend Pussy Hunt came in? He did a bunch of stuff. Jimmy the Idiot Boy, he did a bunch of stuff. <laughs> and that which was really a lot of fun. Very Spumko. It almost felt like a lot of that stuff almost felt like the secondary characters and the ancillary characters from Ren and Stimpy having their own series now. He was very integral in that in flat early flash animation and web animation. And sort of when the dot com crash came it was ushered in. That's when he kind of came over and leveraged his deal with TNN at that time for Adult Party Cartoon. And that, and also he did a very brief, also I think for TNN called The Ripping Friends, which is like a superhero cartoon that he did, which I remember being very excited about, but also didn't last very long. And that was the two things he did. And that was the, the mid, early to mid-2000s. And then in the mid 2000s too, it shouldn't we shouldn't forget to talk about. He was very very active in the blogosphere and had a very opinionated blog, a John K slash Spumco blog, where he basically just pulled everything apart and said, "This is real animation. This isn't." He would post people's work on his blog and be like, "This is shit." Very very opinionated. You know, he would talk about cartoons that he cartoonists and cartoons that he really admired. He would talk about what he thought was shit. It was like the most opinionated thing. I remember people being afraid that they were going to end up on his blog, like being pulled apart, you know. And during that time, too, during the early to mid 2000s, probably around the dot com era stuff to the Ripping Friends and Adult Party cartoon, I had two good friends that worked for him Gene, one Gene, and uh, you know Gene. Crazy Gene. Crazy Gene. <laughs> and my friend Howie from Long Island, who was very talented kid both worked for john k and got to spend a little time over there and another guy I used to work with will used to work for john as well and have a lot of funny stories about him like tapped like coming in like they would go visit him at his house to be tap dancing in the foyer like he was really into tap dancing and stuff like that <laughs> playing the harmon uh the accordion he was really into playing the accordion he's really an offbeat sounds like a really interesting offbeat dude but we have to get into what's happening most recently it seems like with john k and that's the sexual allegations leveraged against him 
I guess within the last year. Yeah, I was here when those came out. We were recording one of the waves. It was like, I, I think either February or April when I was here. Yeah. In 2018. Remember, we were like driving around and I was reading to you about it. And yeah, so these allegations are pretty serious because it's really about him kind of like grooming a young girl, right? From two, like a, two, two, two young girls from a young age that were kind of like talented artists and animators that kind of... They were fans. And they, and he kind of brought them in. and Yeah. So do you do you have any details about that or is you it know even, what I remember it, one of the girls I don't I don't want to say is it even important it's obviously important but is it like a relevant story that we tell here or no I mean I think it's just if you're talking about John Kane contemporary times and what's going on with him we can't dodge it I don't have any data on it as far as how true it is I know he's issued apologies I do know that I only know what the news has reported I can't really speak to it but I do remember him. I won't, I'm not even going to say her name, but I do remember him bringing along one of the girls and introducing her and sort of employing her and sort of featuring her her, her work on his blog and stuff like that. Extremely talented character designer. Very, very talented young girl at that time. And today a very talented young lady. But I remember him you know, sort of bragging about her. And it seemed very the opposite of John Kay because he was always busy telling... He, the only people he praised were dead cartoonists. He never talked about anybody, even his contemporaries that worked with him, Chris Ricciardi, Bob Camp, Lynn Naylor. I don't remember him ever talking them up. She, he was, she was the first one that came along and was like, look how good this person is. Look how good this girl is at drawing and stuff like that. And apparently her and the other girl who came a little later started as fans sort of started a correspondence with him about, you know, in a, from a fan perspective, I love your cartoons. Tell me how I could do this for a living. How can I have a career as an animator? And sort of kind of brought them along and did some racy stuff. And there was allegations of, you know, sexual misconduct with, you know, masturbating while he was on the phone with them. I don't know, whatever it came out to be. And he eventually issued an apology, apologies through his lawyer, sort of citing undiagnosed bipolar syndrome and stuff like that so and he sort of disappeared for for a brief minute and he was very big he started to become very big on instagram and of course every animator and cartoonist starts following john k oh what's john k up to follow john k like his stuff and everything like that during that whole thing he disappeared but i would say since the early summer late spring he kind of resurfaced and I was wondering, like, are people going to unfollow him? But it, it didn't seem to have that effect. Are people going to start stop liking his drawings? Are people going to stop liking his posts? But it didn't really seem to have that effect. So I'm not sure where that stands now. I'm not sure what he's up to professionally. I think that the sexual allegations thing has ruined a few people in animation so far. Um, yeah, with uh, Lasseter. With John Lasseter and the guy who created Loud House for Nickelodeon. Um, I forget his name. I'll look it up. These things are taken very seriously, as they should be. And, you know, it's uh, it's unfortunate. You know, it's really unfortunate when you have a legacy like a John Kay or a John Lasseter that it would end this way. You know, it just shows really poor judgment and... You know, I I wish the people the best that were dealing with John that were dealing with John Kay. It sounds like he was, it sounds like he was obviously in the wrong, right? And you know, it's a shame to see it it end this way for him. And I wonder, I wonder how, I wonder how it'll work out for someone like him. Like, will people be forgiving enough to give him like allow him back in the limelight eventually with a show? 
you know, now he's going to be, you know, now they're going to be dealing with kids, you know, dealing with him with kid gloves. You know what I mean? Like he's not going to be able to do anything. You know, there's a show, a podcast, you know, I listen to called Pro Football Talk with uh, Mike Florio. I really like that show a lot. And, yeah. you know, there's always football players getting in different levels of impropriety. Most recently, Kareem Hunt or not. Was it Kareem Hunt? Uh, one of the guys on the Chiefs. I, I don't want to misspeak. One of the dudes on the Chiefs running back was, you know, accused earlier in the year of kind of basically hitting a woman and stuff like that. And then they released the tape of it more recently and he was released by the team. And he keeps saying something that resonates with me on the show, which is like, it seems like the forgiveness level on anything, as long as the impropriety is not like incredible, it's, it's not like Cosby level. Yeah. Or Weinstein level. Right. You know, when you're like, really, that's horrifying stuff. Right. Where he was saying like, there's a, it's commensurate to your talent level. Like, if you're worth the trouble, they'll forgive you. If you're not worth the trouble, they're not going to forgive wow. you. Wow. And I wonder if, you know, so you see that in football. And I wonder if that's the case with him, too, if it's just going to need a little bit of time and a little bit of space and that he'll come back. If he's ta- in other words, if he's talented and important enough or not. Yeah. You know, if you consider what he did, not that terrible or not rising to the level of this incredible sexual impropriety or whatever, not, you know, personally being incredibly familiar with what he did. So it's just something that came to mind for me where I wonder if that kind of plays into it. Like that does it just require some benefactor to just take a risk on him in hopes that most people don't know or don't care and that he can make a lot of, you know, he or she can make a lot of money off of John Kay's talents, which obviously are still there. So I wonder, you know, it's it's interesting and it's it's incredibly sad. I wonder what the status is of those two women, if they've at least the silver lining of that terrible cloud was that they were propelled into animation, into the animation industry and are able to write their own ticket now. Yeah, based on this dude's really terrible kind of behavior. You know, I know so, one of them ended up at working on something at Disney. I don't know if she's still there, but she was extremely talented. The younger one, the more recent one, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, her. Hopefully it didn't. It didn't discourage them from staying involved. Yeah. No, I hope not. I hope they were able to. Actually, that was actually now that you mentioned it, Kyle, in my research, I had I had realized that one of them, I don't know if it was the older one or the more recent one, the younger girl, was actually part of the reason why she was kind of I don't think she was pressing charges, but the part of the reason why she was bringing it to light and talking about it publicly was because she wanted to shame John Kay. Because she was angry about not being able to pursue her chosen career because of it. So there was something with her having to feeling like she, uh, you know, either having to leave or feeling like she had to leave. Yeah, I was going to say, is she not able to pursue it because of emotional distress or she not able to because he was being punitive? Yeah, which is very, you know, which is very, you know, it's just terrible. It's just a terrible, it's a terrible way for anybody to lend end a legacy. But this shit happening in entertainment is just... It's just terrible. It's just terrible. I assume There's no excuse for it. I assume animation's not any. Di- I mean, animation has some misogynistic or had some misogynistic things going on in it. I assume, right? I've never seen. I I worked in animation for twenty years. I've never seen one thing of sexual harassment go down. I think it's terrible. Animation attracts some wacky people, dudes and dudettes. I have and had and still do see people be inappropriate. Working in an animation studio is not a typical office environment. Yeah, it sounds like games. It's yeah. not. It's just like working in games. Right. It's nuts. You know, people say the sh- craziest shit and get away with it. But I have never seen someone be harassing to another person. I think, you know, animation, welcome. I know, you know, women and men, boys and girls, everybody in animation, there's no, you know, sex doesn't dictate talent 
you know, gender doesn't dictate talent. I should say gender, not sex. Gender doesn't dictate talent. I know men that are super talented, women that are super talented. Everybody's super respectful of each other. It seems to me, at least working in New York especially, there is a really, there's a culture of having each other's back and there's a culture of respect. And we know how hard it is to work in this industry and how few jobs there are. And I think everybody, I'm not saying everybody appreciates it. I'm sure there's assholes. Maybe I've just been fortunate enough to work around the good ones, but I've never really seen that. And I think it's really inexcusable. Oh, no, it it totally is. And the women I know in animation would never fucking go for that shit. You know, they're way too, they're way too cool to ever, you know, you know, and men too. I'm not saying it doesn't exist the other way around too. I'm sure it does. Right, right. But, you know, the nice thing that I always loved about animation that I always felt was like, it always did seem to me, especially in New York, it's almost equal as far as the amount of men and the amount of women working in the field between all. And I'm not saying specific to just being an animator, just being a character designer, just being a background artist, a producer, a production assistant, a director, whatever. All told, working in animation, it's pretty divided equally among the genders. And I always celebrated that. It's very diverse. It's diverse in a lot of ways, which is really cool. And, you know, I, call, I found out about Adult Party Cartoon that. Basically, what had happened was this. They did a show called Naked Beach Frenzy, which had to be heavily cut up for TV, and it screwed up the scheduling. The show stopped airing after three episodes, and the anime, and TNN's whole animation block was put on hold. So I don't know what happened there. Now, in the meantime, Chris Felusi shut down the Canadian studio... After, and I told you a little bit about this, after Carbuncle Animation, who was doing subcontracting animation for Ren and Stimpy all the way from season one, they, Carbuncle, filed a lawsuit against Spumco. I don't know why. I researched why. I have no idea. In 2005. I have no idea why this happened. And he announced that, John Kay announced that all the adult party cartoons that were fully produced already were coming to DVD. So what happened was the network, I have it down here. They were only going to do six episodes. They did produce all six episodes. They did finish producing all six episodes, but only three of them ever aired. And I think that's because of the lawsuit. There was probably, I imagine the way it played out, there was a question of ownership or credit. And that's why they couldn't air. Maybe there was some kind of disagreement as to who, who had a specific amount percentage of ownership or a specific amount percentage of credit for whatever role layout writing, creation, direction, whatever. The show was originally going to have a second season, but due to the lawsuit and criticism, it only lasted for one season, six episodes. They canceled it, and that was it. And that was the end of that? That was the end of that. Well, it's quite the the tale. And I guess we'll see what is written next for John Kay, if anything. It's, uh, it's, It's interesting. It's interesting. He's... There was really never, uh, very, very rarely, he was, he was the first showrunner in animation that I could really, that was really, you sort of blended the man with the property and the, the property just couldn't exist without that, without that showrunner, without that creator. And he was just, the, he was really the consummate, you know, animation creator and cartoon creator. And Ren and Stimpy was really the, the product of that, you know, the product of his, you know, not only him, not only John Kay's genius, but the genius of the people that he surrounded himself with as well, you know, 
And you know what, Kyle? I'm just going to shout out my favorite episodes. My favorite Please. episodes are all from the first two seasons that are must-watches. If you guys haven't seen Ren and Stimpy, I would definitely recommend. I didn't. These aren't exactly in order, but episodes to definitely check out. Space Madness, probably my favorite episode. Black Hole. And there's another Space Madness, Black Hole, and there's a third cartoon, a third sci-fi sort of a 50s parody sci-fi cartoon called Marooned. Those three feature pretty striking because they don't do a lot of re- they don't do a lot of revisits, but those three were the characters of Commander Hoek and Cadet Stimpy who were like space explorers. And those three cartoons feature their their space explorer adventures. The Boy Who Cried Rat was another one, really funny cartoon. Stimpy's Adventure, that's the happy helmet. Happy, happy, joy. We joy. watched that one. Yeah, it's so probably fun. my second favorite episode. Ren's ever. breakdown and that like slow breakdown, and that is the best. It's so the best. You know, the way he's walking down the stairs yeah. and he's got yeah, he's just trying so hard to be angry, but he's being controlled by something. But you could tell he just he's just going crazy trying to get this. Yeah, thing the off. animation is like incredible in that. So good. It's so expressive. You know, and they, they it would have never happened without the support of uh you know an entity that was deciding to really embrace creators and let them try something you know that that can't be overstated it was so important to have that that the level of expressiveness and acting and you know the humor and there's a little bit of pathos and all the elements that combine the slapstick everything that combined to make Ren and Stimpy what it was the design you know the the innuendo the writing the the things they were able to get away with it was all it really was all kind of put together by this this machine that decided to embrace creators and let them try something new and that's where John K really thrived you know fire dogs is another great episode the littlest giant nurse stimpy big house nurse blues awesome. big house nurse stimpy's hilarious big house blues which is actually all clips from Big House Blues make up the little animated intro segment. The opening of Ren and Stimpy are all from Big House Blues, I believe. Dog Show, probably my third favorite. Haunted House, about the the sort of like manic depressive ghost who can't scare anybody. That's a hilarious episode. In the Army, <laughs> Ren's Toothache. Super, super funny. Ren and Stimpy... You know, animation, television animation wouldn't be where it is without Ren and Stimpy. It was really important that I get a chance to talk about it and sort of animation nerd out a little bit. Oh, it's great. It's really a precursor for a lot of the things that came later in the 90s and 2000s. So, you know, it's a lot of fun. Is that everybody that wrote in? Did everybody? Did There's you read- one more. I was okay. going to finish up with it. But before I do, I was just looking up the happy, happy, joy, joy lyrics because when we were watching that episode, I was like, I never, I guess, listened to the lyrics closely. And they're so funny, dude. Like, there's not many of them. But the hello, boys and girls. This is your old pal, Stinky Weasel t- Whistle Teats. <laughs> Stinky Whistle Teats. <laughs> this is a song about a whale. No, this is a song about being happy. <laughs> I don't think you're happy enough. That's right. I'll teach you to be happy. I'll teach your grandmother to suck eggs. Oh my god! When my son saw that, he was. I'll teach your grandmother to suck eggs. <laughs> I was dying. I was like, I don't remember this. Isn't, being that, so a, funny. isn't that amazing? It's and I think we were talking about it. He was parodying Burl Ives in a movie. I never heard of this movie, an old movie called The Big Country. If you go and watch Burl Ives in this movie, The Big Country, a lot of those lines are almost taken line word for word from this movie. Stinky whistle teeth. Stinky whistle teeth. 
<laughs> I can't believe he was even allowed to put that on. Can you imagine? Nickelodeon Wizzle Teats? That's amazing. It's, it's so amazing funny. stuff. It's so funny. If you ain't the granddaddy of all liars, think of the little critters of nature. They don't know that they're ugly. That's very funny. A fly marrying a bumblebee. I told you I'd shoot, but you didn't believe me. Why didn't you believe me? It's so It's ridiculous. Odd. It's so strange. It's really funny. To me, just reading it, it's not, not doing it justice at all. You guys should go watch it if you don't But know that's the thing. That's the thing of why it couldn't be emulated by anybody else. That's the John Kay and his crew you know, doing their thing. When you take them out of the equation, it's not the same anymore. That's just weird. That's just strange and a little subversive and a little disturbing, but not too disturbing. It could, it sounds like, it sounds like an old timey children's performer having a breakdown during his performance, (laughs) but it's not said. It's just like, kind of like intimated. It's all, I got to watch it again after we're done. I just want to listen to the song and it's so good. It's so funny. Ryan Arkitridge wrote into us and said, I love this dark cartoon humor as a child. From Log to Powder Toastman to Kowalski, Ren and Stimpy was really before its time and its brand of humor. And I think that's kind of a nice wrap up for us. That is a beautiful wrap up. I love it. Dig, before we go, yes. should we do a lightning round, a yes, timed please. lightning round? Dagan is bringing back the lightning round. This time we are timing it with an hourglass. As the lightning is- round of doom. Of doom. These are the days of our lives. These are the days. I have my little hour. Should we do a here. days of our lives knockback? Should I do one with mom? That would be funny. Do you know enough? I don't know fucking anything about is days that of our where, lives. Is days of our lives the one with the gangster, Sonny? Is, I don't know. Is that dude, General Hospital? Dude, I was reading about soap operas recently because I was just interested. In, are they still on? I think so. They yeah. are. Wow. Yeah, there's a few of them. But I was reading about, dude, there are thousands and thousands of episodes of some of these shows that have been on, like Guiding Light, General Hospital. Oh, I can imagine. Thousands oh, General Hospital. and thousands and thousands of episodes of some of these shows. Why won't they stop? They just refuse to stop. And I was so impressed by reading about that where they produce, they pro- how do you produce so much of these? You know, I'm not saying the acting is like the best acting in the world, but like how in God's name do you write and produce that many shows? I have no idea how that doesn't get old. It's unbelievable. Must be a nice gig though, if you can get it. You know, not that they're making like an exorbitant amount of money. Maybe they are. I don't know. Anyway. Who knows? Hey, I'm, gonna keep, I'm gonna do something. Ready? Yeah. Do you have to keep tapping like that? You bloated sack of protoplasm. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's one of my favorite lines from Reddit. to be. I love that. Oh man, it's so I'm looking forward to watching watching some of it in a little while. They're right here for you, my friend. You could watch them. I bought the an old DVD box set of the first two seasons, but you know what? It has a third. Oh, wait, that's right here. It has a third disc of commentary on it. Oh, cool. Yeah, I think that's what this is. Yeah, and some of the episodes, I think half of the episodes, 16 of the episodes are completely uncut. So they're they're the ones that didn't, they never televised. So there might be some cr- even crazier stuff in there. <laughs> yeah, I wonder what the Nickelodeon censors had to take out of these shows. But Dave, for the lightning round, yes. we're timing it with the hourglass. These are the days of our lives. One minute. Are you ready? I'm ready when you are. Okay, let's go. Ren or Stimpy? Ren. Cartoons or live action? Live action. Dog or cat? Dog. Fart or burp? Fart. Happy, happy, joy, joy, or... You're darn tootin', I'm angry. You're darn tootin', I'm angry. (laughs) Powdered toast or log? Powdered toast. Nickelodeon or Disney? 
Disney. Here's a tough one for you. Rugrats or Doug? Doug. Mr. Horse or Muddy Mud Skipper? Oh, Mr. Mr. Horse. Muddy Mud Skipper's awesome, but Mr. I forgot about him. He but really Mr. Is. Horse. Magic Nose Goblin or Rubber Nipple? Rubber Nipple. Call the police. Do you remember? <laughs> <laughs> Call the police. Did I make it in time? You did. Look at that. With time to spare. It's over. We got <laughs> You got it. We got to take some sand out of the hourglass for these are the days of our lives. Is that you think that's a is that a minute? I because I didn't. I, I don't know. Timed it yet. I don't know. It seems like a you minute. want timer right now on the show. It's going right now. <laughs> they can wait. Dig. I appreciate you. That Thank was a you fun and much. informative episode. I'm sure everyone out there enjoyed it as well. They always like your insight into animation. Thank you, my friend. Remember, you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand. Doing so gets you a week early access to every episode of the show we do. The ability to submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts and ideas to the show exclusive podcasts and by the way these perks and more expand to all of Colin's last stand shows including sacred symbols fireside chats and side quest I appreciate your support over there it's very necessary if you listen to us on free feeds though please leave us nice reviews we could really use them it helps us find a new audience you can also follow us on social media on twitter and on instagram if you so desire you haven't really been posting on instagram very much lately I have I'm I so busy either. I'm busy do- I'm busy drawing commissions my friend I know good for you getting that work get that money Get that cheddar. Get that money. It's fun. I'm really enjoying it. And thank you, everybody, for listening. And thank you for being so kind to me on the social meds. I know. The first time you said that back a couple of waves ago, you were afraid that you threw yourself a jinx. Yeah. But I don't think you have. I Not yet. I haven't really seen anyone be mean to you. Mm, I'm saying it again. Jinx, now you jinxed it. No, you said that last time. <laughs> you Fuck covet it. my ice cream bar. <laughs> it's log, log, log. We didn't talk enough about log. We'll have to do a whole episode on log. Log. <laughs> <laughs> it's ridiculous. It really, I'm, I don't know. This makes me excited to go and watch some more. So, you know, that was a good episode, though. I enjoyed it. The okay. Ren and Snippy Show. Thank you, Dagan. Thank you very much. Thank you, Colin. That's Thank me. you, Colin. <laughs> Talking to myself. <laughs> it's late. Appreciate you guys. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. Bye, guys. Colin's Last Stand Knockback is fan supported over at patreon.com slash Colin's Last Stand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon. And I want to thank you from the very bottom of my heart for your incredible kindness and generosity. C.J. Anderson, Morgan Ashley, Ethan Barbie, Sean Battershaw, Martin Beck, Fred Bentz, Michael Betts, Eric Bishop, David Blodel, Mark Boggio, Barrett Boswell, Spencer Brand, Lennon Brixey, Matthew Brousseau, Josh Bushing, Austin Bullock, Dylan Burns, Chris Buston, Alex Cabrera, Brian Cacciatolo, Will Caldwell, Luis Cancato, Patrick Carper, William O'Carroll, Brian Chan, Travis Chandler, Sean Chandler, David Chestnut, Simon Conception Jr., Brad Cooley, Cutter Crow, Nick Cummings, Daniel Diamore, Daniel Delanicos, Mitchell Durkash, Martha Emery, Joe Finelli, Eric Finkenbeiner, Stefano Fantana, Fodios Frank. Connor Gagian, Alexander Gates, Michael Gates, Salem Ghanem El Ghanem, Toothless Gibbon, Daniel Glassford, Tyler Goodwin, Josh Gravelick, Miranda Grubba, Andres Guzman, Caleb Hager, Tyler Harris, Kyle Hagel, Asa Haas, Azan Isa El Ricey, Josh Yeager, Justin Yeager, Greg Julips, Anton Kay, Jeremy Key, James Kinslow III, Ryan R. Kittredge, Christian Larson, Jackson Lastiqua, Donald Laws, Joe Lawson, Don Q. Lee, Ashlyn Lee, Patrick Leslie, Dustin Lewis, Keith Adrian Lewis, Chad Lewis, Mark Liberto, Aaron Litwiller, Lewin Ray Loper, Colin Love, Josh M., Ryan T. Mann, 
Randall, Peter Mark, Nicholas Mask, Joe McPartland, Wyatt McVeigh, Dennis Meinshin, Andrew Mendoza, Christopher Middling, Albert Miranda, Patrick Malloy, Betty Ann Moriarty, Abe Mukhtar, Brian Nietzsche, Josh Netzel, Adam Nix, George Anthony Nunez, Brian Ott, Israel Petrico, Jorge Palomino, Todd Paxton, Brendan Peavy, Marius S. Peterson, Enrique Perez, James Perone, Eric A. Peterson, Jason Pettit, Matthew Plaster, Lawrence F. Prokop, John Quinn, Michael Renner, Peter Reynolds, Jonathan Rice, Toby D. Riebenschneider, Austin Riley, Petro Rose, A.G. Rowe, John Schultz, Chris Schaefer, Michael Shanholtz, Toby Schutman, Glendon Cole Simper, Joshua Smallwood, John Tabanillo, Ahmad Tamar, Joseph Thayer, Ben Thompson, Carl Tolman, Tam Tran, Adam Van Curen, Michael Vecchio, Oakley Waldron, Justin Wagaman, Mike Wayne, Tyler Woodall, Corey Wyatt, Tony Zuniga, Casual Misfits Gaming, Supershot ST, Wyatt Henry, Throw7, Infinite, Mad Mock Media, Mubarak, Sticks and Crits, Richter86, That Rescue Guy, Andrew, Ian, Dav9834, Titus Rex, Donk2015, Gavin, and Random Guy Radio.